We know data science is the sexiest job of the 21st century. But have you wondered what's sexier than data science? It's quite simple. It is data itself. What are data scientists for if you don't have data? Well, we should at least give some credit to data for data science being so sexy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Sassy Analytics Insight podcast. This is Priya Dialani, your host for today. Well, data is a hot topic in the business world these days. Everyone wants to talk about the insights and value they can derive from data. There's a good reason for that, though. Data is one of the most valuable resources available to today's marketers, business analysts, publishers, media companies, and many more. But data is only useful if it's of high quality. Bad data is at best inconsequential. Now, in the worst case scenario, if it can lead companies to make even costly mistakes, IBM estimates that bad data costs the U.S. economy $3.1 trillion per year. Now, those costs come from the time employees must spend correcting bad data and errors that cause mistakes with customers as well. So, why should we focus on this aspect? So, today with us, we have Nick Jordan, founder and CEO of Narrative, a leading data streaming platform. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Priya? Thank you so much. I'm doing good, too. Great. Um, so uh, we, we would want to start with mo- knowing more about Narrative. So can you tell us about uh, the company, its services it offers, or any specialization that the company is into? Sure. So Narrative is a, a company that's about five years old. Uh, I founded it largely because I was working with data science teams that were constantly looking for uh, interesting data sets to help improve their models. And then, you know, we were often taking the output of those models and, and selling that uh, as, as data itself. And, and what we found was, you know, both the sourcing and, and the monetization of data uh, it can be an incredibly arduous process. And, and so narrative is really focused on, you know, taking what historically has been manual and has taken a very long time when it comes to data procurement and, and automating it and streamlining it through, through an easy to use uh, software platform. Sounds quite interesting, Nick. Thank you for letting our listeners know about narrative. Um, now, in the in, in the start, I mentioned about uh, good data, bad data, talking about the quality of data. Now, uh, I want to point out uh, one um, uh, review or a quote. Uh, so, in an MIT Sloan Management Review in 2017, in an article, uh, data quality consultant Thomas Redman estimated that correcting data errors and dealing with business problems caused by bad data cost companies around 15 to 25% of their annual revenue on average. Now, that's quite a huge percentage, according to me. Also, in addition, a lack of trust in data on part of corporate executives and business managers is commonly cited among the chief impediments to using business intelligence and analytics tool to improve decision-making in organizations. Now, uh, since you spoke about the company, we want to know, uh, taking everything into consideration with what mission the company was built upon and if you can also highlight your journey since the inception of the company sure so yeah, i mean i i, I understand uh to, to too well the the, the distrust and, and and maybe misuse of, of data in, in certain ways and so you know the the way that we've approached you know a, a, a big portion of our philosophy is that the entire data ecosystem should be incredibly transparent 
uh, you know, if you look at how data uh, was leveraged historically, it, it was often through a, a data broker model. And those data brokers effectively are, you know, are, are, are black boxes in terms of what happens from the time the data is actually sourced until it gets sent to the, to the organization that's ultimately going to use it. And we think that, that that supply chain needs to be much more transparent. And with the transparency comes data quality. You know, if, if you can really understand who collected it, how it was collected, how, you know, and, and, and sort of, you know, if, if it was aggregated or if anything was done to it along the way, you can really move beyond the, you know, the question of is this data uh, correct uh, or, or not. Now, I will say, you know, I, I, you know, other than data that, you know, has something, you know, terrible has happened to it. I, I like to say that there, you know, there is no good data or bad data. There's either data that's useful for your particular problem or data that, you know, isn't useful. And, and so, you know, we, we tend to think of things as signal versus noise and, and noise, not really meaning that there's something wrong with the data. It's just not predictive or it just doesn't have any, any value for the, you know, the domain that the, the user is using it for. That was quite insightful, uh, Nick, when we're talking about describing um, data as not good data and bad data, but probably what is useful and what is not useful. Um, so um, if data is complete, there are no gaps in it. Everything that was supposed to be collected was successfully collected. Now, for example, um, if a customer uh, skipped several questions on a survey, so the data they submitted would not be complete. And if your data is incomplete, you might have trouble gathering accurate insights from it, and accordingly, it might hamper the decision-making process as well. So if someone skips some questions on a survey, uh, it may make the rest of the information they provide very less useful. So then again, we are coming back to useful data and something which is not at all useful. So. Uh, you know, uh, uh, since we're talking about um, uh, the importance of quality data, why is having good data always a challenge? Well, I, I mean, I think if you take the example that you just gave about a, a survey, um, you know, you, you know, people are, are, you know, don't spend their entire day filling out surveys. And I, I don't think most people want to spend their entire day filling out surveys. And so to the extent that, you know, data collection, you know, requires some sort of, you know, non-passive behavior, you know, you're, you're always going to, you're always going to have challenges with that. And so, you know, one of the things that, that narrative does, and this is a use case we see all the time is, you know, we work with organizations that have data sets that, that have gaps in them and they want to fill those gaps and, and they want to do it in a way that doesn't require them going out and, you know, having conversations with all of their customers. And so the, the way that works in narrative is, is they will push the, their existing data set to us. Uh, they'll, you know, go into our system and define, you know, which gaps they want to fill. So, you know, any record that, you know, where the respondent did not give their age, you know, we would like to, you know, you know understand the age of the respondent, you know, through you know, licensing data from, from a third party. And they can very precisely fill in those gaps and, and again, know, you know, which providers are actually providing the data. So they have, you know, some... Uh, some assurances that the data is actually quality and, and, and you know, is ultimately going to give them the right answers. Definitely. I think a lot um, goes into the back-end process of how we can make effective use of the data. And I think narrative is a very classic example of that. And uh, thank you for explaining us how things work uh, at narrative. Um, 
so uh, since you mentioned that you know you don't look forward to data or as good data or bad data and you're particularly more focusing on useful data so i would like to shift that uh, um, from like a good data management pers- perspective to useful data management and why it is crucial for keeping up with the competition and taking advantage of immense opportunities available out there so uh, improved data quality leads to better decision making across an organization that is for sure and the more high quality data we have the more uh, confidence we can also have in our decisions uh, similarly on the other hand uh, useful um, unuseful data can decrease risk and also result in consistent improvements in the results as well so having said that why do you think is um, like historically the best ai and ml models that have come out of organizations that have the best data well, I, <laughs> the the question almost answers itself. I mean, they they have the the best data and they and they have the most data, and so you know, whereas organizations that that are not as data rich, you know, tend to spend more of their time focused on, you know, how do we come come pull in additional data sets that help us answer the questions. The organizations like Google and Facebook and, and Amazon that are very data rich, you know, they they don't have to spend a lot of uh, time and effort sourcing data because they, they, they have, you know, a, a ton of it, they can, you know, better spend their time figuring out how to squeeze as much uh, of value out of the data that they have. And, and I think, I think all of those organizations understand that their, you know, the, their real differentiator is the data itself. Um, and, and I think the, the, that point is, is proved by the fact that they often open source their ML and, 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 and AI models. Um, because they know they're not really giving away the the you know competitive advantage they have because those models are only effective if you can feed you know an incredible amount of data into them. Um, and so you know I think it's an interesting problem for organizations that aren't you know the the size and, and scope of, of companies like Google is how you know how do you compete over time because Google's advantage um, or, or maybe Amazon's advantage since they seem to be going into almost every market uh, conceivable, is that they have so much data and therefore they're going to be a better run organization and 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 it, they're really accelerating that that advantage that they have and so i think you know organizations that are not of that scale have to figure out you know are there ways to democratize you know, in data sets across the the smaller organizations just so they can keep up with the advantage that the larger the larger companies already have Absolutely. Uh, I would like to pick up the point that you said in the end that are there any other ways of how they can democratize data and make use or uh, effective use of the data. So if we go back a decade, um, probably, I think many organizations uh, began their data science journey by starting center of excellence, um, hiring the best data scientists they can and focusing their efforts where there is lots of data. Um, in some as- aspects, this makes good sense too. After all, uh, you know, they don't want to be um, laid to the artificial intelligence or machine learning hype party for that matter. Uh, plus, data scientists also want to show off their latest tools and technologies as well. Um, but is this the best way to deploy the rare resources? And uh, if you consider for most companies, we think that it can be unlikely. But data science also must be democratized broadly. And if data science is to be truly transformational, everybody must get in on the fun. So how do you think we can democratize the data science landscape? Yeah, I mean, data science is is interesting because when I, you know, I think probably the first time I heard the term data science was, you know, a decade or so ago. Um, And at the time I was I was at Yahoo. 
Uh, and we had a whole team uh, under under the banner of Yahoo Research, and and I think it's probably what you would describe as is as da- a data science function today. Although I don't know that we actually use that that term for them. But you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, you know, a lot of the data science work was really about publishing papers. You know, it was it was much more of a, a research uh, science function and, and, and a function of academia more so than than an applied science. And so I, I was always really heartened when you know. The data scientists actually started becoming a, an applied science when you know they were sitting, you know, arm 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 in arm with an engineering team and actually building you know sort of productionalized code and, and models that were actually being used in the real world and not just you know in a in, in a research paper. Um, but to your point, you know, the, the true data science requires you know a, a, an incredible amount of education and and. and you know, an understanding of, of, of math that, you know, frankly goes far beyond, you know, what, what I'm capable of. And, and most organizations are not going to be able to find the talent to have sort of a dedicated applied data scientist sitting everywhere. And so the, the, the trend that we're seeing is this APIization of, of data science. I mean, it used to be that you had to have a, a you know, a PhD in, in applied math and, you know, really be able to get into the weeds with the statistics and, and, and the underlying data. But, you know, through uh, you know both Google and Amazon and, and other places, we're starting to see a lot of the you know the, the the work that a data scientist had done historically be automated through these APIs. Um, and 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 you know, I think that is only going to continue uh, to go forward. I, I think af- after the data science functions are turned into APIs, what you'll see is you'll see companies that are just starting to build products on top of those APIs to the point where. You know, the average user might not even know there's any data science going on underneath. You know, they just log into their system and they get an answer. But it, you know, it's it's all really being powered by by the the data scientists um, and and ultimately the data that's available to them. Definitely. Now, to add to what you said, uh, you know, we sometimes ask companies, uh, which would you rather have, uh, a newly minted PhD data scientist or uh, 20 people who can conduct basic analysis in their current jobs? So almost 90% of them opted for the later one. Now, it when we, when you talk about this to our experts, now experts recommend to solve this issue, uh, they're recommending developing citizen data scientists. Now, um, there are plenty of good business intelligence tools and increasingly automated machine learning tools that is making possible for uh, business analysts to perform quite some sophisticated analysis. Now, for example, Royal Bank of Canada did an exceptional job and has achieved a great success um, in this scenario. Now, since you were talking about the APIization of the data science function, so how do you think the democratization of data has been accelerated by the APIization of the data science function? Well, I think it just makes it more approachable. I mean, I you know to to, to your point, you know, finding you know one PhD data scientist is is a lot harder than finding you know folks that you know are are, are data savvy, but but maybe you know not building their own their own models. And so you know, I, it I, it all boils down to just data becoming more approachable and, and becoming easier. Um, you know, I, at Narrative, you know, we built a, a data platform and we actually have a bunch of customers that, you know, sort of fall into the, the, the job description of, of data scientists. But we also have a bunch of customers that fall into the job description of, you know, business development uh, executive or, or, or people in, in various marketing functions. And I, I think the trick to really get broad adoption uh, is to make it easy, not just for someone that's, you know, highly technically proficient, but easy for anyone, you know, within the enterprise, anyone within the organization that has a problem that they're trying to solve. 
Um, and, and, you know, that's, you know, the APIization, again, sounds technical, right? Like, you know, most people don't walk around all day thinking about APIs, but if, you know, it, it's really the first step of actually just embedding data science in the tools that business users use every day. And, and, and again, I think there'll be, you know, most of them won't even think about all of the, the, the math and the data that goes into the products they're using, you know, the, it just, you know, there'll be products that help them solve their problems and do it in a really elegant and effective way. Right. I think I agree with you, Nick, that, um, yeah, uh, most of the data scientists or organization tend to ignore the uh, APIs of uh, the data science function and how it can actually help in uh, effective decisions making. Um, but um, so now, uh, since the start, we are talking about the importance of um, a good data. And right now, you know, I just want to point out certain benefits that actually good data quality means. So it increases the accuracy of analytics applications which can lead to better decision making that uh, that can increase your sales. Uh, it can also improve internal processes and give organizations a competitive edge over their rivals. And I think further, it can also expand the use of BI dashboards and analytics tools, as well as, as, well as if um, analytics data is seen as trustworthy, business users are more likely to rely on it instead of basing decision on gut feelings or on their own spreadsheets for that matter. Now, uh, I understand that data and having good quality data is really important uh, in terms of modeling and uh, data science modeling. Uh, but apart from best data, are there any other attributes uh, that can ensure effective data science models well i mean the, you know the a lot of data science is the the tuning of the models based on the the data that you have so you know tuning the hyperparameters and and, and all of those things but you know e even that a lot of that's you know being automated and, and being put in into the apis uh itself you know i i think I think one of the biggest challenges we see with with the modeling and with the data is just the you know the the amount of time that has to go into you know uh, getting the data and then massaging the data to get it into the correct format you know doing things like feature selection and the the hyperparameter tuning um, you know the, those things when when taken together can you know take weeks or, or, or months in in some cases. And, and I think, you know, we will have truly gotten to, you know, the, the promise of data science, you know, when, you know, going from a, a hypothesis about, you know, how, how a model might be made better or a type of data that might improve a model to testing that hypothesis can be measured in, in minutes or hours and not days or weeks. Um, because I feel like at that point, you know, the, the, the term data science kind of lives up to its name insofar that, you know, the, the, the data scientists can constantly be testing hypotheses uh, and, and finding things that work and, and really iterate in a way that will produce, you know, better results quicker. Yeah, definitely. I think um, uh, if you go back to a decade, I think uh, the burden of data quality efforts um, was centered on structured data, which was stored in regional databases, since that was the only dominant technology that was available for managing data. But the nature of data quality problems expanded as um, big data systems and cloud computing became more prominent increasingly. And data managers also need to focus on the quality of semi-structured as well as unstructured data. Now to include examples, it would be text, um, internet click stream records, sensor data and network system, application logs, and, and many much more. So 
want to know what are the challenges or the roadblocks uh, uh, that have been uh, companies facing to access signal rich data and how they have been solving that problem and uh, again in this scenario if narrative has helped companies to overcome these challenges yeah i mean data is complicated <laughs> that's the that's the you know the overarching you know theme of of you know what some of these challenges are i mean i, I like to tell people that it, you know it comes in an infinite number of forms you know it's 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 you know when you when you boil it down it's just ones and zeros and so you know whether the data has structure or no structure or it's semi structured it 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 it's somewhat complicated but you know we, we we talk about data as if it's a you know a monolithic asset as if it's like a widget but when you know it's really all of these different things together um, and so, you know, I think there's a there's a you know a couple things that that we do at Narrative to help help with that. Um, and and we've actually taken some of our cues from you know how uh, you know the the information on the web has been organized. And so, you know, if you know if if any of your listeners are old enough to remember what you know what finding web pages looked like before Google, you know, sort of became the dominant search engine, it was it was pretty bad. You know, you would search for something in a, in a search engine and, you know, the, the results would be terrible or you would have to go to someplace like a Yahoo and look at just, you know, a, 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 an index of different web pages they thought they thought you might find interesting. But, you know, Google really made search much better and one of the ways they did that is by effectively applying some semantic information about the pages themselves and so you know if it's e-commerce website it might be the the product that you're browsing or its price or its color or its size um, you know if it's a sports website it may be semantic information about the teams that were playing and the, and the score of the game or when the game was was played or where it was played and so one of the things that we we started doing at narrative is starting to add uh, semantic meaning to the the data sets that are used on the platform and so you might have 10 different companies that are selling data that is ostensibly the same, but it comes in a different format or it may be measured in a different unit or, you know, it, it, you know, it may be collected in, in, a, in a slightly different way. And so if you're a company that would like to, to, to buy that data, you, you, you have to understand the nuance of, of all of those things from each of the sellers. Uh, and so what we've done is by by adding that semantic uh, layer on top of it, we let the buyer say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking for you know, transactional data for any products that were purchased in an e-commerce setting in the last week, you know, where the, you know, the purchase price was greater than $10. Uh, and, and, and it effectively lets the, you know, the user of the data, the, the data scientist or, or, or the analyst, you know, speak about what they want in a very um, uh, easy way and, and really be protected from the nuance of how the data is actually collected because our system is sort of tying everything together uh, in, in a way that, you know, al almost acts as the, as the Rosetta Stone uh, between the, the, the data players. It was quite insightful, Nick, I guess. Um, um, yes, uh, there are certain challenges uh, when we're talking about uh, uh, useful data and good data quality management. Um, also, one such uh, practice that we have come across is that um, Businesses tend to involve business users and uh, with with data analysts and data scientists in the entire data quality process to help reduce a number of issues that are created in systems. Um, business participation can be achieved uh, partly through data governance programs and interactions with uh, uh, data systems who frequently come from different business units. 
Now, in addition, though, many companies run training programs on <clears throat> useful quality best practices uh, for end users and employees. Still, people lack uh, inefficiency in effectively using the data. Now, a common mantra uh, among data managers is that everyone in an organization is responsible for data quality. So, how do you think the evolution of data science will look like uh, in the coming years with the commoditization of um, ML models and parameter tuning techniques? Well, I think we're going to see some amazing. I, I, you know, I think that we're just starting to see the acceleration of what what data science and, and modeling can do. And I, you know, I think to the extent that you know organizations are bought into a broader data strategy and and they're bringing these data scientists uh, in, in into the mix, you know, I, I I like to think that we're you know very early innings in terms of the the things that that we can see. And so, I think you know, ten years from now. You know, we'll almost look back on this conversation, um, and and it'll sound a, a little bit silly because data will just be a, such a core component, not of every, not just of every organization, but of every every business unit, every functional area, every team, every project within an organization is largely going to be driven by uh, you know the, the the data that that the organization has access to. Um, and so with with that buy-in from you know the organization and then with the maturation of the the, the tools and, and the, the the science and then with the access to the data you know I, again I, I think I'm, I'm I'm incredibly excited for what the world's going to look like vis-a-vis uh, -vis data in in the next five or ten years Yes, well, definitely. Even I'm excited to see how the world is going to uh, evolve in terms of data science. Uh, but one last question, Nick: um, Would you like to give any advice or uh, data management tips to our budding entrepreneurs and leaders in the space of data science? Uh, well, I think the the I, I really like the way that you let off the uh, the podcast by by calling data sexy because I I do think data is, is sexy. I think sometimes we talk about data, you know, especially folks that are, are steeped in data all the time in this very abstract way. Um, I think one of the things that data is almost missing is a brand. Uh, you know, data uh, is sexy and it should be talked about that way. And, and I think, you know, to really make sure that it becomes, you know, more uh, ubiquitously understood within an organization. Um, it, it can no longer be the domain of, 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 you know, just the engineers or just the data scientists. And I think a lot of that is, is messaging. You know, I, I think, yes, we're, you know, we'll build tools that are easier to use and we'll build all these other things. But I, I think for certain folks, data is scary because they don't really understand what it is. They don't really, you know, they, they think it's, you know, going to replace the job that they do. And so, you know, I, I think what would behoove everyone, you know, that, that is in this data universe would be to, you know, make it a little bit more attractive to, to maybe the, the, the non-data practitioners by talking about it in, in, in less abstract terms and, and sort of talking about it, you know, like you would talk about any other asset that you might have, uh, but, you know, do it in a way that effectively, you know, sells it internally as opposed to making it sound like this very scary and very complicated thing. I agree with you. Yes, definitely. Even we have come across organizations who are really scared of data and especially with automation coming into picture, many people are scared that their jobs are at risk. Uh, 
so i've of course there's a lot of um, discussion and heated controversies around around this topic if if artificial intelligence or different technologies that are coming into picture are going to replace jobs but uh, i guess everybody is is focusing on more uh, augmentation of the human expertise and skills rather than replacing humans um also um so with this um, we would like to say that yes data quality is important uh, but uh, it's not really uh, a job of a data scientist or uh, a data scientist should be involved in the entire process of a data quality or data management um, with with our experience of working with organization and also after having this discussion with you it it convinces uh, that data science is is about people and more strategically and broadly bringing those people together and ensuring that uh, we are making use of useful data so guys just like nick said it's not about good data and bad data it is about which data is useful and which is not and act on the useful data immediately well thank you nick it was a pleasure having you with us today i think uh, we have touched down on some important aspects with respect to data since data is everywhere so thank you for giving such insightful um, um knowledge about how data can be utilized and how narrative is also playing an important role in it thanks for having me priya Thank you so much. For our listeners, I watch this space for more podcasts and also we are on Spotify and Google Podcast. Hit up to those websites and listen to our more podcasts. Thank you so much.